Well, Merry Christmas to you all. Good to be with you again this morning and uh, looking forward to uh, having this time just to reflect upon our Savior's birth today. Uh, Luke 2, of course, the traditional text there, if you'd like to join me in turning there as we uh, this morning look at the meaning of Christmas. Luke 2, we will uh, begin reading in verse 1 just momentarily. Um, but we have uh, ahead of us here the announcement of Jesus' birth uh, to those shepherds who were out in the field and uh, just that wonderful, uh, wonderful occasion there in um, Luke chapter 2. So I'll begin reading verse 1. If you will uh, follow along with me and the, the verses will be up on the screen as well. And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria. And all went to be taxed, every one to his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth, into Judea, unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be taxed with his espoused wife, being great with child. And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought first her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the end. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flocks by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not. For behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. And it came to pass, as the angels were gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds said one to another, Let us now go even unto Bethlehem, and see this thing which has come to pass, which, which the Lord hath made known unto us. And they came with haste, and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger, and when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all they that heard it wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherd. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told unto them. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you today for this one, Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world, your Son, born in a manger, born in Bethlehem, born to save his people from their sins. Father, we today recognize that if Jesus can leave heaven to be born in a manger, for his birth to be announced among shepherds, Father, if Jesus himself can demonstrate such humility. We have no room for spiritual pride today. Father, we, we have no room for lifting ourselves up 
Brother God, we know that, that Jesus, who was willing to love us so much, to come in, in such lowly estate, and ultimately, Father, to be born, to die on the cross for our sins, that, that our hearts should simply be overflowing with love today, love toward you, love toward our Savior. And Father, love toward those around us for whom Jesus came to die. Father, we ask that our hearts today would just be overwhelmed in wonder and awe at your love on display in that little manger in Bethlehem. We give you thanks for all of this, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. This uh, passage we have before us today is, is a reminder of the meaning of Christmas and why Jesus came. And so through this passage, we, we see that Jesus came for the good of man. Uh, he came for us. He came for our good. And, and as, as part of that, he, he puts on display uh, how he was able to accomplish this. And, and, and the way he, he did that was by coming truly as a man. He demonstrated true humanity. Jesus truly was a man. And this is one of those, this is one of those areas that's so essential as we think about Jesus and, and him coming to earth. Uh, this, this was not, this was not uh, simply um, God born in a human body, right? As though the body contained him. This is a baby who is the God-man. He is fully God. He is fully human. And, and it's one that allows us to, to consider that we have a Savior who is like us. Right? He, he shares in being fully man just like us. Now, the distinction, of course, is that he is also fully God. All of those things that he could have exercised, all of his power, all of his might, being everywhere, he limited it, rather, to one place, to be the Savior of the world. And he placed it all under the direction of God the Father, doing the Father's will, because that's what God the Father had called him to. Jesus sought to do what God the Father had commanded him to do or instructed him to do. And though Jesus was without sin, he was still fully human. That's, that's very difficult, I think, for us to imagine today. Uh, when I consider my sinfulness, uh, what does a human look like without sin? We, we didn't have long on this earth to be able to ponder that idea. Um, it, it certainly seems it did not take long uh, for mankind to commit the first sin. But here's this real baby, this real human, the savior of the world in a real manger, a, a trough, a feeding trough, probably hewn out of stone. And, and just like other babies sitting there wrapped up in cloths, right, swaddled up tight, and, and uh, wrap, you know, wrapped up in that way. And, and he didn't somehow just start at 10 years of age or 20 years of age, but, but came as a baby. 
A baby dependent upon parents to look after him, to feed him. I'd imagine that that is an unusual position for the God of the universe to be in, although no doubt he chose well, right, in, in choosing Mary, and of course Joseph as well. But here's a, a, a little baby learning about the world around him. Eyes developing, slowly seeing more uh, as time progresses. Having little hands and little tiny fingers. It wasn't long ago that I, I was able to hold a one-week-old baby. And it uh, reminded me, of course, of when my son was little. And uh, it, it, just a reminder of how fragile and helpless a little baby is. Uh, there's, there's not much they can do on their own, right? Can't, can't go to the grocery store, can't go get their food off the table, none of that. They're dependent, utterly dependent, right? That's, that's, uh, they, they are dependent upon someone else. And, and here is Jesus willingly being dependent upon his parents. You know, different, different folks have, have come up with ways to try to describe the incarnation. What, how do you describe the God-man. I, I, I think it's, it's something that is, is pretty difficult. John 1.14 puts it this way, and the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Verse 18 goes on, no man hath seen the Father at any time. The only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, He hath declared Him. And so one of the, the roles of, of Jesus was to declare the, the Father for the world. And, and so here is Jesus, one you could look at, one you could see, one you could touch. And he puts on display for all the world what God the Father is like, sinless, perfect. You know, the, the different aspects of that are, are just... Um, amazing when you think about it. We, we have this aspect of, of this, this unknown, this degree of unknown. For, for here is, is this child growing and maturing and, and yet without sin. He's in a human body, human mind, human soul, all of those things, 100% humans and the limitations that come with humanity. You know, Jesus wasn't out flying around the globe like Superman or something. He walked around like everyday men. When people saw him, they didn't think, wow, there's something special here. They said, that's the carpenter's son. And, and so Jesus gave up all the glories of heaven to, to walk around with, with mankind. 1 Timothy 3.16 says, And without controversy great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, and received up into glory. That's the Savior who came. That's Jesus. And it's amazing uh, when you consider all that's involved there. But you know, Jesus came for the good of man, but he also demonstrated divine sympathy, the sympathy of God. 
he, he described this amazing capacity for, for sympathy for mankind. I, I mean, who would go to such lengths for mankind unless you were sympathetic to man's plight? Born sinners into the world, and yet here is Jesus, fully man, fully God, and willing to go through all of the terrible treatment of mankind for our sakes, right? Willing to endure suffering and pain. He's willing to endure the shame that we heaped upon him. He's willing to go through all of that for our sakes so that we could be saved from our sin. You know, he he truly is one who uses uh, his humanity where, where he is in, 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 every, in every way, just demonstrating his humanity like we are with the same limitations, the same temptations, all of that, and yet without sin. And, and in the midst of his weakness, he goes to the cross to suffer and bleed and die for us. You know, that's something we can relate to. Superman, I can't really relate to him. <laughs> My life isn't like that. Right? You, you throw me through a building, I don't get up. Right? It, it, it just doesn't work that way. And, and, and sometimes I, I think even thinking of, uh, of God and what he's like, I mean, there's a, there's a sense in which, you know, we, we wonder and we stand in awe, but what is he truly like? What, what is true holiness like? What what. What does that mean to even experience it? I mean, it, it was so great that Moses couldn't even stand to look upon him. He couldn't look at the face of God. And yet, here is Jesus. Hebrews 4.15 says, We have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. He experienced life, and yet he didn't sin. He understands what we go through, and yet he didn't sin. He endured it all. You ever reach your limit? You ever reach that point where something that you thought you would never do or something you thought that you would never say. And because of external pressures and different things coming down, or you're put in a situation, and all of a sudden, boom, it pops out of your mouth, right? Or, or you get angry at someone you never thought you'd get angry with. This kind of things happen, right? We have limitations. Sometimes we reach an end, <laughs> And we do something that, that just, if we, we were to think about it, we say, I, no, I could never do that. And then before we know it, it's there. What happens? We, we reach our limit. We give in. That, that temptation or whatever it is, it, it pops out. Things that are in the heart are on display. You know, Jesus wasn't fulfilling himself, his own gratitude. I mean, how, how, many, how many times could somebody hit you or pull out the hair from your beard or stick 
thorns on your head before you say something back, before you throw a punch. I mean, whatever it is, right? I mean, how, how long could you take it? And yet Jesus did. Why? Because he wasn't there for himself. He wasn't there for his own name. He, he was there to endure the temptation for our sakes. He did it all for us. This truly is divine sympathy. And as he appeared, when Jesus' birth was announced, as we just read, it wasn't an announcement to the kings and the princes. It wasn't an announcement to, to, to everyone all over the world about, here comes this great Savior. Pay attention, Pharaoh in Egypt. Pay attention over in Rome. Pay attention, great Caesar, and know that Jesus is here. It wasn't like that. His announcement came to shepherds. He, he came first to, to these ones who were out in the fields, those who are watching their flocks at night. And the announcement came from an angel. Boy, what a messenger. It's not identified exactly who it is. Maybe it's Gabriel, we don't know. But an, an angel comes in the midst of that night, that cold night, probably they're sitting there close to the fire trying to keep warm in the midst of, of, of the nighttime, and all of a sudden this glorious light just appears. And an a angel steps forth, and, and the shepherds are afraid. You know, it doesn't matter if it's bears or wolves or whatever, they'll go take them on. This was something different. This is, this is something from God. And, and they were afraid. And even with the reassuring words to fear not, they weren't exactly sure what was going on. Shepherds were often considered to be pretty low on the social ladder. I mean, you, you spend your day caring for stinky sheep, you know, out in the middle of a field away from everybody. Um, often they were they, they were unable to go to the temple or the synagogue. They were unable to, to worship others because they were ceremonially unclean. And yet, God in his grace sends the angel to the shepherds. The ones who typically are unable to enter his temple. He goes to them and declares to them the birth of his son. Luke one fifty two. Since he hath put down the mighty from their seats and exalted them of low degree. See, that's our God. He wasn't concerned about the stature or position. He wasn't concerned about how much money they had or didn't have. He, he wasn't concerned if they smelled like sheep or not. He told these shepherds about the birth of his son first. He came to the needy. He came to the poor in spirit. He came to the humble. You know, the, the, often the people of, of that day, the respectable people, the good people, they looked down upon shepherds. Not so with God. Not so with him. So here are these shepherds, probably, remember this is, um, this, this is the time of year where they were 
coming for the census. Probably at this time, the flocks there, the sheep, would have been used for um, temple sacrifices. Um, flocks weren't kept in the middle of Jerusalem, right? They weren't kept in the city. They had to be outside of Jerusalem. Um, and, and Bethlehem was a, a known for that. Um, uh, it was a, a place that if a, an animal was found between Jerusalem and that area in Bethlehem, um, it, it was to be used for the sacrifice. It was to be used uh, for, that, for that reason. Um, there was a, a rule that the rabbis had that um, if you found a, a Passover offering within 30 days of the feast, um, February would have been when that was coming, but um, because the, the flocks have to be in the fields in, in winter, and of course that gives some range there in latitude for even the traditional date of Jesus' birth, Christmas. But, but with that, these shepherds are, are keeping these flocks here, likely for temple sacrifice. And so here it is, the announcement of the Lamb of God to take away the sins of the world, going before the shepherds and their sheep who are destined to die on the altar of the temple to shed their blood on behalf of Israel as an, as an atonement, an offering for their sins. What an announcement for the Lamb of God. What an announcement for the ultimate sacrifice that would take place before those who are watching all the others. You know, these shepherds very quickly realized that they had a great need, and, and they were willing to, to um, when they heard of, of what that need is and to understand it, they were willing to, to note that we need this Jesus. 1 Corinthians 1.26 says, For you see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, and God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. And base things of the world and things which are despised hath God chosen, yea, and the things which are not, to bring to naught things that are. That, the, that no flesh should glory in his presence. You know, uh, these shepherds weren't standing before God saying, hey, how dare you come into my, <laughs> you know, into my palace? Can, can you imagine uh, the angel appearing before someone like a King Nebuchadnezzar or someone like that? And, and the angel shows up and, and, and the king cries out, you need to bow down here in my house. You know, I mean, that, that type of thing would, would not be unheard of, right, in the midst of the pride of, of, of those who were in those positions of authority. And yet here we have this wonderful example of, of these shepherds recognizing uh, the, the wonderful gift that they've been given. How else does Jesus work for the good of humanity? Well, he truly is the wonderful Savior. The, the angel spoke words that aren't just for the shepherd, but they are truly for all of us. They promised uh, those who were there not to be afraid, um, but we too can take uh, account of that because the, the angel brought good tidings of great joy that will be for all people. And that includes us. 
Because today in the town of, of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. The Christ has been born. The Lord has been born. The Messiah has been born. The Anointed One has been born. And so the declaration was given. It was, it was described for all. And Stephen said that the splendor of the Lord blazed around those shepherds. It was all around them. They get reassured by that angel, hey, don't worry. I'm not here to somehow harm you. But in this case, here is the, the Savior coming for God's people in that town for the sake of the salvation of those who were there. See, this is a good thing. The anointed one is coming, and he's coming for your good. He is coming to be the Savior of the world, to save you from your sins. The special deliverer has arrived. The anointed one is here. And so this description of this little baby in the manger is one of incredible stature. It is one of incredible status. All of these terms of glory, all the, all the terms that, that are high and lofty, are reserved for this baby. You see, uh, Jesus was born in lowly estate, but the description of who he is in that condition is, is one that is beyond what any human could have. This is a baby, but he's unlike any other baby. He is Christ the Lord. And so here, through the birth of Jesus, through God in flesh, we, we have the declaration of this wonderful identification of what has truly taken place. Right? The baby is not just a baby. He is Christ the Lord. The incarnation, God in flesh, is right here before us. Hebrews 5, verse 8 says, Though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation to all that obey him. Here is Jesus, the one who lived a perfect life, the one who is the author of salvation, the one who became sin for us. 1 Peter 2.24 says, Who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree, that's the cross, that we being dead to sin should live unto righteousness by whose stripes you were healed. So whatever the situation we're in, here is the Savior of the world. He can save us. He can deliver us. He has that power. The little baby in the manger, who is not merely a baby, but is the God-man, Jesus Christ, who is described in all of these wonderful terms, is the one who lived a perfect life, who grew in his stature and standing. He, he grew before man. He grew before God. And yet he was without sin so that ultimately when he died on the cross, that when he did so, his perfect life would be accepted by God so that because of his righteousness, his shed blood could heal us. It could pay the penalty for our sins. See, that's, that's the, the beauty. That's the wonder of 
this little child born in the manger. As we consider what um, Hebrews 7 says in verse 24, this man, because he continueth ever, hath an unchangeable priesthood, wherefore he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession before them. You know, this is, this is the Jesus who came on our behalf, who shed his own blood so that our sins could be forgiven. And that's the one in the manger. I, I, I think there's sort of a disconnect, at least in my mind at times, as you think about a little baby and the weakness of a child versus the power of the Christ. I mean, in some ways, there's still a disconnect throughout Jesus' life as, as he lives on the earth and, and he goes to the cross. Because here, I mean, here's a body broken, ripped apart before the very eyes. And, and you could imagine as that crowd stood there crying up to Jesus, yeah, if you be the Christ, save yourself. Right? Save yourself. Or as the thief cried out, save yourself and us. And yet he didn't. He didn't save himself. He didn't save his body. He stayed on the cross. And he died. And in doing so, he demonstrated a power which in my mind is almost is so difficult to comprehend. I understand someone who is weak, who's been beaten, staying on the cross and enduring all of it. I understand someone who maybe has been convicted of a crime and they're in prison and they're locked up and they're in shackles and they can't break the shackles, they can't get free, they can't pull th break through the bars, they can't get out, and all of a sudden it ends in their ultimate punishment, right? Whether that's capital punishment or otherwise, they endure it. Maybe they stay in prison their whole life. But they, they receive the result, right, that's there. I, I get that. But here's Jesus, who's all-powerful. I mean, he, he can call in the angels. He can, he can do whatever he wants, and yet he restrains it for our sakes. That, to me, is strange. You ever, you ever have trouble restraining yourself in the midst of a, a situation? You ever, you ever have trouble exercising restraint? And we do this, just, we, you know, we have trouble exercising restraint because somebody cut us off on the road. <laughs> you know, have you, we, we have trouble over these little things. We have trouble exercising restraint when we stub our toe. That, it's, it's the smallest. And here is Jesus who has all power, all might, and he restrains himself to die on the cross for our sins. Now that's power. Right? That's, that's real power. That's what that looks like. You know, this message, this announcement ends, and all of a sudden there, there is this group of angels, the heavenly hosts, who are there, and they're appearing, this multitude, and, and they're praising God, and they're announcing peace. And, and all of this is, is taking place. They're screaming out, glory to God in the highest. They're declaring it before those shepherds there. And, and in the midst of all of that, isn't it kind of ironic 
okay, the, the heavenly host, that's the army, right? Here is, here's the heavenly army, and they're out there, and they're declaring peace to the world. How does that come? That, that comes through Jesus, right? The, the one who's all-powerful, who, who lays down his life and dies, the, the, here, here is the heavenly army who's out there. They know of his birth. They know what's going on. They're the ones who could pull him off that cross, and their declaration is one of peace even though humanity is about to pull out its hatred upon the, pour out its hatred on the Son of God. That army says peace, goodwill to men. The angels come in the midst of their ranks and they, up in that sky, stand up there declaring peace on the earth. Hard to imagine what that would have sounded like, right? In the midst of the stars. Job 38, 7 says, When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. wonder if it was something like that that he's describing there. But the angels join in their voices and all of a sudden here is the birth of the God-man, the incarnation which has taken place and they as a choir, are declaring it to all those shepherds in the field. It would have been incredible to enjoy that concert. It truly is a, a message that should be sung year-round, right? How wonderful the Savior is, how wonderful the Son of God is, the, the little babe born in that manger. God who sends His Son come born in the likeness of man to suffer shame, beatings, and die for the sins of the world. You know, if, if, that, if that doesn't soften your heart, knowing the love of God, it, it's hard to imagine what could get through. The angels leave, the, the glory, the light that's in the, the countryside, it, it just fades away. You can start seeing the stars now once again because the light of the angels isn't there. And the shepherds are by themselves once again. What do you do after a moment like that? What do you do after an experience like that? The shepherds knew what to do. They said right away, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. He's announced it. We're going. Let's go right now. What happened to the sheep? I don't know. Right? It seems like they, left. They, just, they took off. They went. They went to town. Did they bring the sheep? I don't know. But they went. Right? They said, we're, we're going. And so they're, they're, they're praising God. They're, they're amazed at what they've seen. They, they speak to Mary. They, they tell her of what the angels have told them. It says that Mary hid these things in her heart. You know, this truly is a, a, a wonderful thing here. We have shepherds who can't hold it in. They're, they are declaring it to, to all those that they see. We, we have Mary who's sitting there learning and just soaking it all in. You know, this, this mother of this little baby uh, sitting there in the manger. And so as the shepherds hear that, 
the, the, the very end there, verse 20, it says, The shepherds return, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told unto them. See, the, the shepherds went and saw Jesus. They saw him in the manger. But when they returned to the fields, they didn't return the same as they were before. I, I can't imagine um, exactly what was being said that night. I, I, don't, I mean, I don't know for sure exactly what was being said that night before the angels appeared. Um, I would imagine that on a cold night, standing out in the middle of the field, that probably the shepherds were not always the most encouraging to one another, right, about how, how their work and that evening was going. I would just imagine that. Typical workplace, right, late night shift. I don't know. Some of you have some experience with that, working night shifts. But when they come back, it's different. They've got something to talk about. They've got something that's edifying to share. And it's as though it can't leave their lips. They just start declaring it for others to hear. Have you ever had that kind of an encounter with Christ? Where you, you ponder the, the wonder and the beauty of this babe in the manger and, and what he has done on our behalf that... God in flesh and what that's like, to, to where your heart is just simply overflowing about who God is and why he came and what he suffered and what he did for your sake. So, so much so that, that it changes you. Now, hopefully if you know the Lord, that has taken place, right? You have believed, you've trusted, you put your faith in Christ as your Savior, he died on the cross for my sins. I, I believe that by his shedding of blood, he was paying the penalty for my sin. He died so that I didn't have to. And if, if you've believed on that, you, you certainly have had an encounter with the Lord. You know the Lord. For these shepherds that night, they couldn't stop talking about it. Maybe when you came to Christ, you couldn't stop talking about it. Have you stopped talking about it today? I've, I've just simply asked the question, what has changed? What has changed? Five years after we get saved, did Jesus somehow not die anymore on the cross for us? I mean, did he become less? Let me suggest this. If, if in your life, in your walk with the Lord... If rather than growing in fondness and excitement and anticipation of being with him, if instead it's apathy or coldness, if instead other things gain greater and greater priority while the Lord gets pushed further and further to the side, I would just simply ask the question, what's changed? I mean, did Jesus cease to be the Savior somehow in the last five or ten years or twenty years or whatever? Did, did he become less of a Savior? Did his sacrifice somehow pay for less? I think in reality most of us would recognize it's a lot more that he's paying for now. 
the sins that we have committed. Often these things, I think, point to not a problem with the Savior, not a problem with this sacrifice, but a problem with our hearts. To just simply challenge you this Christmas, if you have grown cold in looking back at Jesus and what he's done for you, if that manger has just become another building, right? if, if it's just another feeding trough, if it somehow just seems like just another baby, can I challenge you to get into the Word of God? And maybe it starts right here in Luke 2, what we're just reading, where you, you sit and you read and you, you, you're in awe of who God is and how he works. Because I, I'll tell you, there's enough right here to just sit and be in awe. And I know it's possible because it's what happened to the shepherds. It's what it was like for them. They returned glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told unto them. Is that true of your heart today? And if it's not, would you leave whatever it is that you have been doing? Probably not tending sheep, but I'm sure you filled your life with other things. And get up and run to the Savior. And talk to him. Cry out to him. Thank him. Worship him. Give him the place that he deserves this Christmas. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this word. We thank you that you have described for us the beauty of our Savior. Thank you for the wonderful announcement of his birth. Father, we thank you that he came for our good, for the good of humanity. Father, where we've grown cold, we ask that you would help us today to look fresh and anew at the wonders of our God, Savior Jesus Christ. Father, help us to take account of those things that are pulling us away from you Father, may we cling to you. May we run toward you. Father, help us not to leave. May we worship you. May we sing your praises like the angels did that day. Father, we long to be true worshipers of you. We pray, Lord that this Christmas, that we would be reminded of that. Father, help us to never leave. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.